0: Well, it is good to be with you, and um, what a joy. Gosh, I feel already like I'm at home in a family, so that's a blessing. I'm going to dive right in because I'm aware of time, and I want to be mindful of that as well. So if that's okay, can we jump right in? So I want to start with a question. I want you to just identify in your own heart, what's a situation? Can you all see that, by the way? Is that you're able to see that? Just maybe do this a little bit identify a situation, a difficult issue maybe you're going through, a challenging situation you're facing. So I just want you to get one in your head, okay? It might be uh, something at work. It could be maybe something in your family, something in your community. Maybe it's even something here within the, the context of the local expression of the church. You know, it's okay. Whatever it is, get one in your mind. Try to just have one, though you can have more than one, but at least isolate one. And then I want you to ask the next question, and that is, How have you been addressing that issue or situation? Like, what what have you been doing about that? What have you been believing about that? What have you been thinking about that? Or how have you been processing that? So I really want you to do the work. So at the end, we're going to revisit this particular thing you're going through. I really want this to be a practical application to something you're actually facing or going through today. So that will help you engage it even more. And just to be clear, I know you guys are in the book of Revelation and got a little bit of a download last night. It was Wish I was sitting in the series. Sounds like it's really, really brilliant. Um, this is gonna be a little bit more of a topical kind of sermon in the sense that we're gonna start in a passage of scripture, but we're gonna go after an idea, and then we're gonna to go to a few other passages of scripture, which is also an appropriate form of teaching, but I also love what you're doing in terms of walking through slowly verse by verse. It just this won't feel quite like that. And that's just because Mike asked me to speak on this topic of gospel fluency. So we're gonna be looking at Ephesians 4 to start as kind of our launching point to begin with, and then we'll go from there to a variety of other places uh, in, the t- in the Scriptures. So we'll start in verse 11 of, of Ephesians 4, and the big idea is we're going to be talking about this idea of gospel fluency. And How many of you guys have ever learned a language? Okay. The, how many are fluent in another language other than English? Not many. Yeah, so some of you are. And uh, the idea is we want to learn how to be fluent in the gospel. Okay, that's the mother tongue by which, if you're new to the faith, uh, it's how we become born into the spiritual family uh, that, uh, where God calls us His sons and daughters, and it's through the good news, which is also another way of saying the gospel. And so we want to know how to not only hear it, but we want to learn how to speak it into all of life. And I'll share with you why that's important in this text. It says, He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I just want to pause there and just say, when it says the word saint, don't think St. Augustine. Okay? Think of yourself if you're a follower of Jesus. The Bible calls everyone who's put their faith in Jesus uh, a saint. And even though you might go, I don't think that's what I'm like, most of my life doesn't look like sainthood, uh, the Bible says you are. And what's great about the good news of the gospel is God doesn't look at what you do to declare who you are. He looks at what He's done in His Son, Jesus Christ, to declare who you are. So if Jesus is a saint, which we know he is, then if your life and faith is in Christ, you are also declared to be a saint, a holy one. That's another way to describe that word, the holy ones of God, the ones set apart for God's purposes, the ones who have been made right with God. And so we have this idea that we're saints, and it says that God's given people to the church, these different kinds of people gifts, and I'm not going to take time to teach on that, though. That's uh, That's a really good message, if I have another chance to speak on just that, Uh, all five of these gifts, but he's given them to the church to equip you for the work of ministry. And if you want to take that word ministry and just put behind it service, it'll help you understand what it means. Because we can tend to think, I'm not called to the ministry. You know, that's Pastor Mike or other elders and the deacons here. They're called to ministry, but I've got my profession or my, you know, marketplace job, or I'm working in the school, or I'm a stay-at-home parent. It's like that doesn't count. No, the idea of ministry in in the Bible, especially in this text, is any anything you engage in as a service unto the Lord and what he wants you to do is see all of your life as an active service to Jesus in that sense every one of you is called to full-time ministry because you're called to not work and as unto men but as under the Lord that everything you do you're saying Jesus this is for you and this is to tell people how much you love them by the way I serve them in my job and in my marketplace, or in my school, students in your sports, wherever it is. It's like, do it all for His glory. And that word glory is really important because gonna, we're going to come back to it. The word glory means the true nature of what God is like. So, when we glorify the Lord, we're making visible what is invisible. We're actually making a display through our words and actions of the, of the character and nature of the invisible God. Now, we know Jesus to be the full display of of God. He is the glory of God in physical form, but we as people, the church, are called to also be a display of what He's like in everyday life. So keep that in mind, because that's the, that's the work of ministry, is to bring the true nature of what God is like to the places where we live, work, learn, and play. Now he goes on, he says, we're going to do this so that we'll build up the body of Christ. And when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he's not talking about this room. He's talking about everybody that submits to Jesus in the city of Charleston, that Charleston will eventually be so built up with the body of Christ that all of Charleston won't be able to get away from the presence of Christ. That's the idea, okay? So he says that's what we're after, building up this body of Christ until we all, that's every saint, every follower of Jesus in all of Charleston, really all the world, but let's talk about Charleston, until we all reach unity in the faith And the knowledge of the Son of God, growing into maturity with a stature that's measured by the fullness of Christ. Now, what he's saying there is when we all really grow up, the world will look and go, I can see Jesus now. When I look at you, I see what Jesus is truly like. That's what we're after. Now, he says, if that happens, then we'll no longer be children being tossed to and fro by these waves that are coming into our life, not blown around by every wind of teaching that's coming at us, but rather, And we're not going to be given into human cunning or cleverness in in these techniques of deceit that the evil one wants to engage in, but rather we're going to speak the truth in love. And in so doing, we'll grow up into every way into Christ who's the head, from him the whole body, which is fit and knit together by every supporting ligament with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. That's a lot of words. Let me just simplify it. The simplification of this is we are like a physical body, the church, God's people. Jesus is the head of His church. Jesus is the the goal that we're all aiming for. We all want to grow up to be like Jesus. But we can't do that unless people are speaking the truth in love to us from the perspective of those fivefold gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, so that we'll all grow up in such a way that when all of us are doing our ministry or our service, we're also building everybody else up as well. So it becomes this really symbiotic thing like a body, like any part of my body that doesn't work well will rob from the other parts of the body to heal that part of the body. But when every part is healthy, every part builds every part up. That make sense? So the goal is not that we have a whole bunch of really strong, mature Christians that are a particular age group and the rest are really immature and weak. The goal is that everybody grows up into maturity in Christ. And the way that we do it, according to Paul, is by speaking the truth in love. Now, I want to clarify that, because how many of you have heard that phrase before? Speak the truth in love? For me, that, it used to be like, um, so, Mike, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you introduced me, you set me up. I love you so much. i got to speak the truth in love. You just want to get me all emotive. And just kidding. I know you didn't. You were trying to honor me. Uh, but i got to speak the truth in love, brother. Like How many of you guys have heard that? right? It's like i got to say something to you. By the way, you didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> that's why I picked you. Uh, it's, it's like I've got to say something difficult. I'm going to preface with the statement, you know, i got to speak the truth in love to you, so now here comes a hard word. And that does need to happen at times, but that's not only what Paul is talking about because Paul's talking about everything in life, not just the difficult, painful conversations, but the areas of parenting, and how we would engage our finances, and how we would go to work with a boss maybe that doesn't treat us well, or how we would uh, love our neighbors when they're difficult to deal with. Like, he's talking about everything, because listen to what he says. He says, um, we're going we're gonna, to we, speak the truth in love so that we can grow up in every way into Him who's the head. Now, what does is, what is speaking the truth mean? It's not just a difficult word. Later, Paul describes what this is. And before I get to these verses, I want to pause and just acknowledge what happens between what he says now and what I'm about to read. Paul goes on and says, hey, that's not there's, there's a group of people in the world that don't see clearly, that are still ignorant of the truth. They haven't been rescued from darkness into light. So this idea of this speaking the truth in love doesn't make sense to them because they don't yet know and believe this truth. And he goes on to say this, that's not how you came to know Christ assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him. Say it with me, as the truth is in Jesus. So what Paul is saying is the way you grow up in every way into Christ is by learning how to speak the truth of Christ into everything. That's the idea. That the way, if we're going to grow up in every way into Christ, in our parenting, how we engage in sports, how we handle finances, how we go to work, how we love our neighbors, how we deal with difficult conversations, how we deal with our wounds and pain, how we address our sadness, how we address our loneliness, like all of it. He's saying if you're gonna grow up into the fullness of Christ, if your life is gonna be a display of what Jesus is like, you're gonna to have to have people in your life who regularly remind you of the truths of Christ for every single area of your life. That's the idea, and sadly, my observation, I've been, I've been in some kind of vocational pastoral ministry for like 33 years. My observation when I often am with followers of Jesus is that they, they know how to speak the truth of Christ to a few things, right? Like forgiveness of sins and hope for life after death and Maybe, as you guys are going through uh, Revelation, that he will come and he will judge and he will make all things right. Like, maybe we're getting there and we're learning, but, but I'll be with people regularly and they'll be talking about their finances and they'll go, hey, i got to recommend this really good book or I've got to have you listen to this podcast. And that's not evil in of itself, but when we never, ever talk about Jesus when it has to do with our finances, we're missing the point. He who was rich became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. That ought to inform how we think about whether we're scarcity mindset or abundance mindset. You know, like our whole idea of giving money is not informed just by how we get a good tax return, but rather how Jesus laid down his life for us and gave us everything. And the more that we can speak the truth of Jesus into that area of our life and also look for wisdom from wise counselors who know a lot about finances, the more that we'll be more like Jesus in our finances, not just like the world. That's one example. Parenting. And I know there's a few parents in the room. Uh, years ago, I heard my kids uh, yelling at each other. This is when they were really quite little. I think Maggie was like four and the other two were like six and, and seven or eight, right around that age. And they were playing um, a game called uh, Candyland. You guys know that game? I hate that game. Like I always had to work myself. Like I'm, I'm so much more emotionally healthy now that I would probably be able to engage that really well because it's not about winning a game or strategy because there's no strategy in Candyland. You're just like, it's a color. Move to the color. You know, so it's color uh, coordination is what it is. It's like can I coordinate with the color? And uh, I hear them yelling and I come downstairs and my, my, young, or my son, Caleb, who's the middle child, is holding a little guy and he doesn't have a head. So those cardboard players with a little plastic bottom and there's no head on the guy. And, and Haley, our, our firstborn, she's yelling at Caleb. She's like, he tore the head off! And Caleb is yelling at Haley, she cheated! And Maggie's just kind of sitting in between on the middle of the table watching because she's the youngest, you know, doesn't know what to do and just scared to death because brother and sister are fighting. And so I just stop and I go, hey, Caleb, buddy, it's obvious you tore the head off. And as soon as I say that, shame comes over him. And he just, he he does what I call the turtle. He takes his shirt and he puts it over his head. And then he puts the bottom of the shirt over his knees. And he's got this little shame ball going on. And he's just hiding. And in that moment, I think as parents, sometimes we're tempted to add more consequence. Shame on you. It's obvious you did that. It's like, no, no, shame's already on him. Like, the goal isn't for me to shame him. The goal is for me to speak the truth of the gospel so we can go to Jesus with his shame. And so that moment, I'm like, buddy, you don't have to hide. You don't, you don't have to just run away in your heart. You can run to Jesus. Remember, he already knows what you've done, and he loves you, and he died on the cross for your sins. He doesn't want you to ever have to hide again. That shame is keeping you from him. It's keeping you from me right now. Just come out of it. I love you. God loves you. Jesus gave everything for you, buddy. He's so proud of you. He knows you need him right now in this moment. He knows that you did something that's wrong, but he wants you to know that he's already taken care of it. And In that moment, I saw him kind of peek out of the little hole of his shirt. You know, like eyes came out, and soon his head came out, and then he lunged at him. He's like, I'm so sorry, Daddy. And I just held him. And as soon as I did that, Haley said, I told you. And Haley can tend to be a little bit, she's a firstborn, compliant, gets things right, tends to be a little bit more on this, can tend to be maybe a little self-righteous, or at least that point in her life she was. And uh, there was a sense of like, I'm right, he's wrong. And And I said, Haley, I want to remind you, don't ever point the finger at somebody else when they've sinned. Point the finger at Jesus for their sin. Because there is one who is righteous for the one who is unrighteous. And she said, and she's, she's really smart. She said, Dad, why do I keep doing that? Because she knew that about herself. It's something we've been working on for quite a bit. That like, let's, let's not keep blaming other people. Let's point them to the one who's already forgiven. And I said, sweetie, we all do this. We all forget the gospel. We all forget believe something else. It's, it's what we all do. And then she kind of le- leaned into the hug with me and Caleb, and we just prayed together. Lord, would you help us to remember and believe the gospel for all these things in life? And I guess the question I would ask you when you came up with the situation or struggle that you're facing right now, when I asked, how are you working through it? And how are you addressing it? How are you processing it? Was the gospel present in the answer? And I'm not trying to do that to bring shame on you at all. It's just to say we probably all need to grow in this because I can tell you a hundred other times when I as a parent forgot the gospel, when I didn't apply it, when I wasn't believing it for myself or for my children. And here's what I've learned. The more that we we let it shape us, the more that it changes our behavior, the more that it comes out of our mouth, right? The more it becomes the good news answer. Uh, for other people you know jesus said it's not what goes into a person that corrupts them it's what comes out of the person it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks and so i just want to ask you what's been coming out of your mouth even when you address your own problem your kids problems your friends problems your spouse's problems what's been coming out of your mouth does it sound like the good news of jesus this world is full of bad news this world is condemning each other accusing each other rejecting each other canceling each other that's not who we are. We are the good news people of God. And if you're new to the the faith, if you're not aware yet of the good news, when we say the good news, we're talking about the good news of Jesus and who He is and what He's done. And I'm going to go there in a minute, but here's the question I want to ask you before we go on further. How much of the gospel has actually saturated you? Like what aspects of your life, if you were to stop and go like, I don't know if the gospel has spoken to that yet. I don't know if I've submitted that part of my life to what is true of Jesus and what He's done and what He's doing. And and just pause and think about that again, because I want to say this one more time. You do talk about what you love most. Like, whatever's captured your affections is what you talk about. When I first met Janie, this is back in 1991, August 1991, God delivered her onto my porch. He knew I was an idiot. <laughs> I needed help. He, literally, this did happen. I was sitting in my front porch playing guitar. Her friend, Loretta, who was a college student in the student ministry that I was a part of, said, we should go see our youth pastor. And Janie's like, who's a youth pastor? She grew up in a church that didn't have any staff. And so she thought it was just like some old guy who hung out with kids. And that kind of freaked her out. So she's not sure she wanted to do that. And then sure enough, she comes up and she I don't think she found me that attractive, but I sure found her attractive when I first saw her, and within weeks, months, so we're starting to date, and I'm, I couldn't stop talking about her. I remember I was on a hiking trip with our senior pastor, and I was just, like, she's so beautiful, and she's so funny, and she makes me laugh, and I can't stand being away from her right now, and I want to go home and be with her, and he's like, would you just shut up and marry the girl? And like, no one had to tell me, talk about what you love. How many of you have kids? How many of you talk about them to people? How many have grandkids? How many like showing pictures all the time? They're like, we get it. They're amazing. You love them. Makes sense, right? Like, that's what we do. In fact, I would even say this idea that we've got to train people to share the gospel, maybe we need to train them in what the gospel is and how it applies to all of life. But if it's changing them and transforming their life, you don't have to motivate them to share the gospel because they'll always talk about what they love most. And so, the question I want to ask is, how much has it saturated your life to the point at which you can't stop talking about Jesus? And here's the other thing that I've learned is that we talk about what we believe works, right? How many of you have a, a, a new gadget, an iPhone or some special gadget? When you got it, you told everybody about it, right? Some of you do like diet programs, and, you know, you're trying to convince everybody to go keto or Mediterranean or whatever new diet you're doing, or, you know, some of you get a workout program. I had a friend, Kirby, and I always told her she was an evangelist, and she said, no, I'm not. I'm not an evangelist. She had in mind evangelists like Billy Graham. I'm like, no, you got me up at five in the morning to join you and your husband, Charlie, to do CrossFit three times a week. I hate working out, and I did it anyway. Like, you believed in CrossFit enough to be an evangelist for it to convince me to go do it, and I'm up at, o oh, dark 30, killing myself for something I hate, right? Like, clearly you can share good news. And this is the thing that I've learned about almost everybody. Everybody can share good news if they think it works. If it's changed their life, if it's made a big difference, they're going to tell other people about it because they're going to say, it, it worked for me, it can work for you, which is why Paul says in Romans 1 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is pretty much saying like, why would I be ashamed of the thing that's the most powerful thing in the universe? Why would I hide back the thing that can transform everybody's life? Why would I shrink back from telling something to somebody that could give them the life they've always dreamed of, always wanted, always longed for? Why would I be ashamed of that? And the only reason you would ever be ashamed of it is if you don't think it works. That's the only reason we'd be ashamed if someone's like, I don't know, it might not really work. I don't know if it'll really change their life. It's like, Paul's going like, stop believing that lie. Because it transforms, it restores, it renews, it changes everything. And it will change everything one day. There will be a day when all things will be made new because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop and just pause and make sure we get the elements of the gospel right. So, the gospel includes several things. I'm going to go through this pretty fast, and then we're going to talk about how to apply it. But the reason why, I'm, it's going to feel a bit like a workshop, just so you know. So you, all of a sudden you go like, that went towards workshop mode. I'll still be a preacher. I can't help it. But I do want to make sure we don't miss, because I think sometimes when people say the gospel, they, like, they have a truncated view of it. So let's look at the fullness of it. And, and, and as we do, before I do it, Jesus said something really, really important to his disciples. Remember in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus starts teaching about the Holy Spirit, and he says things like, those who believe in me will do even greater work, or will do the works that I do, and even greater works than, than me will they do. I can imagine sitting there with his disciples going like, is he kidding? And then he starts teaching about the Holy Spirit, that the same power that was in Jesus is now going to be in his followers to enable them to do the very same things Jesus did. And then he says in John 15, if If you abide in me and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, once again, he's referring to abiding in him through his spirit. And then in chapter 16, he says these things that are really powerful about how the Holy Spirit's gonna be brought into the world to convict us, to guide us, to direct us. And one thing he says is really important in John 16, 9. He says this, that the Holy Spirit's gonna convict the world of sin in regard to their unbelief in me. And what's really interesting there is that we have to define sin before we understand what he means by that. The word sin, some of you know Romans 3.23. Do you know Romans 3.23? Can you say it with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In that statement, Paul defines what sin is. Sin is anything that doesn't look like God, right? Right? Falling short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the invisible God being made visible. So anything that doesn't look like what God is like, doesn't think like what God would think, doesn't feel like what God would feel, any of that is sin. So all of us, how many, by the way, have sinned, right? When I went with my friends who don't yet believe, I tell them that, and they're like, oh, that's me. Like, nobody is going to say, like, oh, I always look like what God looks like all the time, right? None of us do. And then Paul later in chapter 6 of Romans says that the wages of sin is death, right? Well, the word death in Hebrew means separation. So, what, what Paul is saying is saying anything in your life that doesn't look like what God looks like is going to create separation in your relationship with God, yourself, and with people. It's going to break things down that were not meant to be broken down. They were meant to be together. Does that make sense? You got the definition of sin, falling short of the glory of God. You got the definition of or the outcome of it, death, it produces separation. And so then Jesus says the spirits come into the world to convict the world of sin in regards to their unbelief in me. What's he saying? You know how you look like God in all of life? Not because you try really hard, but because you believe in me in every area, that you put your trust in who Jesus is and what he's done in every area of your life. Some of you are going like, I'm trying so hard to be more like Jesus, and I just want to tell you, you're never going to be able to do it just by trying. The whole good news of the gospel is that Jesus has already been the one who looks like God perfectly, He's the fullness of the deity in bodily form. And if you put your faith in him in a particular area of your life, you're fundamentally saying, Jesus, will you be for me what I cannot be in this moment? And will you do through me what I cannot do in this moment? And will you show the glory of God through my life as I depend on you, as I unite with you, as I trust in you, as I put the weight of my life in this area on you, Jesus? And that's the good news of the gospel is he wants to transform you from one degree of glory looking like a little bit like God to another degree of glory, looking even more like God. And how do you do that? You do it through trusting in Jesus, depending on Jesus, connecting with Jesus, inviting Jesus and all that he is and has done to come into that space in your life. You go to work and go, Jesus, I can't do it without you. I need you who's a better employee than me, who submitted perfectly to the Father, to teach me how to honor those employees and employers in my life who are really hard to work for, right? We begin to submit everything to him and his power and his presence and so I'm just gonna walk through the ways in which we can begin to do that but I want to do it by first of all giving you all the things that are true of Jesus for you okay now if at the end you don't think it's good news then I'm gonna pray seriously I'm gonna pray that the spirit will open your eyes because I'm more and more convinced that when we preach the gospel if it doesn't sound like good news then we're still spiritually dead and those of us who've been made alive, and maybe for some of you today, today will be the day when it starts to really make sense, and you'll go, ah, this is so good. And those of you who've been in the faith so long, never grow tired or weary of hearing the gospel. of I mean, you guys seen Lion King? Remember that time when, when he says, Mufasa? What do they do when he says, Mufasa? Do it with me. Mufasa. It's not too good. Try it again. Mufasa. Okay. Hopefully, every time we hear the gospel, we go, ooh, yeah, right? Like, this is so good. So first of all, the gospel includes the life of Jesus. I'm going to give you the elements, and then we're going to talk about how they apply. The life of Jesus. So many of us think the gospel only starts at the cross. But if you don't have the life of Jesus, you don't have the righteousness of Jesus. If you don't have the righteousness of Jesus, then him dying on the cross for unrighteous people means nothing. Now, I want to ask a question, just in your mind, what is the, why is the life of Jesus good news? And I'm going to ask for inter- interaction just on this one, okay? I won't do it over the whole sermon. Why is it good news? Yeah. It's an example, so we know what it looks like. Incarnation, what do we mean by that? Just to explain it. Yeah, so now we know that God cared enough to become man, to take on flesh, to be with us. What does it mean, I'm going to ask another question, what does it mean that he came to be an example and he came to be man? Why is it good news that he's an example and he's an actual human? Okay, he's showing us his love. Empathy, he feels what we feel with us while we're feeling it. Hebrews 4, 15 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with us because he's been tested like us in every way but without sin. So anything you're going through, he went through it. That's really good news. What was that? Yes. It's a promise from God. He is the actual promise from God. Like He comes to be the Word of God, to fulfill the Word of God. Yeah. Now, we could keep going. By the way, a thing that i just offer you to try at your dinner table tonight or in your small group is to take one of the aspects of what I'm going to walk through and go, why is that good news? And then ask, why is that good news? And why is that good news? And why is that good news? And keep drilling down. Like, I could have done it on any one of these and you guys could've went for a half hour, but I'm not gonna give you all the time because I still have things to say. But you could've done it. And the reason why that's important is because we as a community ought to be the gospel community that continues to tell each other how good the news is, and then someone asks, tell me why that's good news, and why is that good news, and why is that good news? And we could've just taken the one on empathy and said, why is it good news that he feels with us what we feel? And then you could say, what would you say? Because we're not alone in our emotions. Because we have one who can be with us when we're struggling because he can be somebody who meets us in that place of need, and we could keep asking that question until it drills so far down that you could spend hours talking about just that one idea. And I would, just, I, I would just exhort you, be the kind of people who never grow tired of asking the question, why is that good news? It also is the life of Jesus, I'm sorry, the death of Jesus, the life is like he knows what you've gone through, he's lived the righteous life for you on your behalf, don't miss that. None of you have to live a righteous life to be acceptable before God now because Jesus did it. So you can just rest, go, thank God. It doesn't mean you don't want to be righteous. He declares you a righteous in Christ so that you will be able to live a righteous life, but he doesn't say if you don't live a righteous life, I'll never love you or accept you because Jesus already did it for you. So you can rest from all the works of striving and step into the work of Jesus, right? But he also died in your place. He went to the cross, suffered and died for your sin, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin, your sin, my sin. He took it all on, all the ways we've fallen short. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. It's amazing. At the cross, a divine exchange was made. I, I used to hear people say like, oh man, it's so amazing that, that he's cleansed my sins, I'm forgiven, I, I'm, I'm, I'm white as snow in the sense of like it, there was this darkness in my soul and now it's clean and that's all true. But it's not just that you got a zero balance. Like, I think a lot of people are like, man, Jesus is righteous and I am this, I was, I'm a sinner and he died on the cross for my sins and took on my sin so that I could get to zero balance. And then the rest of my life, I'm striving to get up to his righteousness. No, the Bible's really clear. He who knew no sin, perfectly righteous, died for people who were sinners, unrighteous. And what happened? He took on your sins so that you could take on his righteousness. So that before God, you are 100% deemed and declared righteous. Whoa. The Mephasa thing, do it. I mean, if that doesn't get you, you're going like, you've missed the good news. You in Christ have nothing else to do to make God pleased with you. As he said to his own son, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, he now says in, over you in Christ, you are his beloved daughter or son in whom he's well pleased. So good, isn't it? But don't miss this, he also was buried. Sometimes we go right from the cross to the resurrection, but it also says when we proclaim the good news, we proclaim the burial of Christ. Why? Because where did all those sins go? They were brought to the tomb. They were buried in the ground, never to stand against you in condemnation ever again. And not only were they brought to the ground, but your very death was brought to the ground. Death itself was buried in death. Jesus took death to the grave, and then he conquered it by rising again from the dead. So that way death has no victory over your life anymore. For us who are in Christ, death will just be a passageway, not an end. It's just a doorway into life forever in the presence of Christ, and eventually given a new body to live on a new heaven and a new earth, enjoying Him forever and each other as well. Amen? Also, we have the burial of Christ, I mean the resurrection of Christ, that we are not only buried with Christ, but we're raised with Christ. What does that mean? To be raised with Christ means that you've been given new life in this present moment. Just as Christ was raised from the dead with power over Satan, sin, and death, you now in Christ are given power over Satan, sin, and death. You have the same power that raised Him from the dead. I'm going to come back to these in a moment. Then we have the ascension of Christ. Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father. And do you guys know that there's someone constantly praying for you? If you ever wonder, I wonder if anybody's praying for me? Jesus is. It says He goes to the right hand of the Father to make constant intercession for the saints. That He is regularly speaking on your behalf before God making sure God knows, the Father knows, and He does, but he's, Jesus is the means by which all that you need is being given to you. Isn't that amazing? He's sent to the right, this is part of the good news of the gospel. If your only good news is, man, I'm forgiven, now I've got to work really hard, then you've missed the wholeness of the gospel. It's not that you're just forgiven, it's also that you've been empowered, and that you have Jesus with the Father on your behalf, continually praying for you and making intercession, and lastly, He's going to return and make all things new. He's gonna make all things new, including you. One day, you're gonna have a new body, living in a new heaven and a new earth. They're gonna be together like they used to be, intersected. You're gonna enjoy life as it was always meant to be. This is the good news of the gospel. Now I wanna apply it, I've got a little bit of time. Can I still keep going? You said about 40, 45, I'm at 34, okay. Some of you guys are going, that's long enough. (laughs) You guys good? Keep going, okay. So i want to go back to Romans now. Keep all those elements in your mind. Now, by the way, as you were thinking about your issue, which aspects of the gospel do you presently need to apply to your life? You might be going like, I just need to know Jesus knows what I'm going through. That's the life of Christ. I just need to know he's praying for me while I'm going through That's the ascension of Christ. I just need to know that what I've done is not too much, that it somehow makes me not right with Christ anymore because I feel like I've sinned too much. That's the death of Christ and the burial of Christ. I just feel like I don't have enough power to live this life. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. That's the resurrection of Christ. Like all those can apply to your situation. Okay? Some of you might go on, I can't forgive somebody. Remember that he cried out for your forgiveness from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If he can forgive you when you didn't know what you're doing, you can forgive others when you clearly know what you're both doing. right? But I want, I want, to, I want to, sorry, I went ahead here. I want to read the passage again. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, say this with me, from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So you hear three tenses there, right? There's a past reality of faith, there's a future reality of faith, and there's a present reality of faith. That this whole life in Christ is a life that's all lived by faith. It's all about believing when Jesus was asked by religious leaders, what's the work that we must do? He says, you must believe in the one that God the Father sent. That's it. And some of you go like, that doesn't make sense. Belief is enough. I will tell you, your behaviors are always a result of your belief. What you do is always connected to what you believe. When you, when you grow anxious over a situation, it's likely you're believing you should be in control of things that you can't be in control of. Right? You're believing, in a sense, you're like sovereign. Parents, anybody in the room feel that? Kids, students, ever feel that way? Like, I'm so anxious, I feel like, I don't know if I'll get the right grade, I don't feel like I'll have the friends I want. There's just certain things in life you can't control that only God can control. And the way that we walk away from anxiety is we say, I can't be in control of certain things, but I know the one who can be in control of certain things, and I'm gonna submit that part of my life to the one who's in control. That's called belief. And belief always has action. And your beliefs are always revealed by what you do every behavior is connected to your beliefs. And so I just want to now apply the gospel to three aspects of our faith in terms of past, present, and future. First of all, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, okay? Ephesians 2 says, we were were dead in our sins and trespasses. We sang that in the song this morning. But then Paul goes on to say, we were by nature enemies of God. We were children of wrath. We were opposed to God in our hearts, but God who's rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. For it's by grace that you've been saved by faith. This is not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works so that no one may boast. And I just wanna put that in front of you, the idea that we have been saved. It's by grace you've been saved. when, When we say been, it means it's been done it's finished. It's over. Like that's the idea of the past reality of your salvation, that you have been saved from the penalty of sin. That, that God doesn't look at you and, and say, I'm still holding an account against you. It's all been forgiven. I love the song, Buried in the Ocean. I leaned over to Mike. I said, I've never heard that song before. He goes, wait, it gets better. And he was right. I was with a guy one time who he just couldn't believe the gospel. He kept saying, Jeff, you just don't know what I've done. And I said, well, would you want to tell me? And he said, sure. And he, he told me, and, and it was really bad. In fact, I said, you're right, that's really bad. I didn't diminish it. I didn't say like, oh, sin's no big deal, or the things you did didn't really hurt people. It's like, no, that's really, really bad. You're right. He goes, see, I told you. It's too bad. God can never forgive me. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I didn't say it was too bad for God. I just said it's too bad for you. It's too bad for me. Like, these things we do are so bad. We can't save ourselves from them. We can't somehow make ourselves glowing before God. We can't wash ourselves up enough. We can't somehow perfect ourselves all by ourselves. They're that bad. Yes, they are. But they're not too bad for him. They're not too much for his grace. And at that point, I said, your problem is you actually think that you're more powerful than God that you think your works are stronger than his, that your sin is bigger than the grace of God in Christ Jesus. The problem you have is not that your sin is too great, but that your pride is too great. You really think you're huge and God is small, but God is big and to, you, to, you, to God your sin is very small because he can handle it and you can't. Maybe that's some of you in the room, you're like, man, I, just, I have so much guilt or shame over my past, I still feel like I can't do enough to make God happy with me. He is not looking to you. He's looking to the Son. And Jesus is enough. He's enough. In fact, Jesus' best words from the cross, they're all good. But the ones that I think you need to hear after he says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, is this, it is finished. It is finished. And what was he saying? There's no other work needed to be done to make people right with god other than what i've already done with my life and my death some of you need that this morning you you're riddled with guilt you feel like you've got to make it up no he's already paid for it in full and the receipt is his resurrection because if he didn't pay for it in full and the wages of sin is death he'd still be in the grave but he rose again with the receipt paid in full for you maybe that's some of you today you just need to know The guilt has been atoned for. The shame has been covered. The righteousness of Christ is your new clothing. It's enough. But I also want you to hear that we are being saved from the power of sin. As we apply these truths to the gospels, it's not just something that happened in my life. I'm hoping a lot of you will get saved again today. I'm hoping you get saved every day. Why do I say that? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. That's a present active statement. The gospel is not just something that did happen, though it did. It's also something that's still happening because Jesus is alive and at work in and through your life. And he says, if you hold fast, which is another way of saying, put the weight of your life on it. Believe it. Keep trusting in all that he's done. And Paul goes on to describe the reason why he's saying this to this particular church. Some of you are familiar with this. The reason why he says you're being saved is because he says, you guys stop believing the resurrection. You're actually wondering, are people resurrected from the dead? And he goes on, if people aren't resurrected, then Jesus wasn't resurrected. If Jesus wasn't resurrected, then our faith is in vain because we're all still dead in our sins. We have no power over sin is what he's saying. He's like, why would you have hope in this world when the reality is the thing that's destroying this world is sin and if there's no one has power over it, you don't either. And he says, that's not true though. He rose and he appeared to over 500 people, some of whom are still alive at the writing when Paul gives that letter. He says, I want you to go talk to them. They saw the resurrected Jesus. Why is that important? Because Jesus said, the same things I did, you're going to do. And how? through the power of the resurrection, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. I just want to ask you, do you believe you can do what Jesus did? Like internally, I think we all go like, no. But by the power of spirit, you can. You can overcome sin. You can preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel with power and authority. Every one of you, not just the the people preach up here. Every one of you can do this. This happened in the early church. When they got the Holy Spirit, everybody proclaimed the good news because the Spirit gives you power. You can see people healed, delivered from demonic oppression. I mean, you can walk in these ways because you have the same Spirit that Jesus did. Just to be clear, Jesus didn't get like the big Holy Spirit, and you got the itty-bitty little one. That's not what happened. You got the same one. I remember I was interacting with a new Christian that we were discipling and her name is Nikki and she was like, Jeff, I just can't love these people. They're too hard to deal with. And I'm like, well, you can. You can because you're in Christ and the Apostle Paul said to the church in Philippi, we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who's at work in us both to will, to give us new desires, and to do, to give us new behaviors according to God's perfect will said, you can, you can. She was like, but I don't want to. I said, well, how about if we apply the gospel to your want to? She said, what do you mean? I'm like, the power of Christ through the gospel can give you new wants. So she's like, but I don't want to want to. <laughs> and I said, well, he can help you with your want to want to. She goes, I don't want to want to. And I said, well, what if you want to want to want to want to? I'm like, how many layers do we have to go back? But we'll just start wherever that is, wherever the want to, want to, want to, want to, want to, want to is, and just have him start with that, and I guarantee you he'll give you the want to want to want to want to want to want to. And pretty soon you'll want what he wants. And what's even better is not only will you want what he wants, but you will be able to do what he does because you will have Christ in you, the power of God to do this. Maybe some of you are in that place right now. You're like, I don't have the want to. It's okay. He can give you the want to. That's the gospel. The gospel doesn't just give you forgiveness. It gives you new desires, new heart, new power, new ability. You can live a new life. You're no longer a slave to sin. Don't believe the lie that you're stuck. Do not believe the lie that you're stuck. And I mean that. Yes, thank you for clapping because there's a bunch of you who've been told you cannot change. I want to say, even though you were a sinner in Christ, you're now a saint empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a whole new life and you're no longer slaves to sin. Be set free today. And we will be saved. This is the last one. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Thank you, Jesus. Peter says it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again, that's the past, to a living hope, present and future, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance looking forward that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, not yours, God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you hear what he's saying? He's going, nothing's going to take this away from you. Your salvation is in the hands of God. And if it's in the hands of God, nothing can corrupt it, nothing can defile it, nothing can rob it. It's kept in heaven by God's power for you. You who are in Christ have absolute confidence, I pray you will have absolute confidence that you will one day see the fulfillment of your salvation and nothing you do on this earth will ruin it Nothing you've done will ruin it. Nothing anybody does to you will ruin it because it's kept in heaven for you by who? God. And it's being guarded by who? God. God's power will keep it until that day. And there's some of you who are worried so much about the future, and God's going, let me have your future, live in the present, trusting I've got it for you. Stop living in fear. Stop living with anxiety. Trust me with everything, including your future. Amen? So what I want you to do is, I want you to just maybe take a moment, and just go, what am I presently struggling with? What aspects of the gospel can bring good news to this situation? Maybe it's all that God Jesus has done or is doing, maybe it's you gotta apply the past, present, future application, but I'm hoping every one of you in this moment will go, Jesus, be for me what I need for this moment. Help me to believe that you're enough, that what you've done is sufficient, and that the gospel is good news for me, and good news for that take a moment, just maybe if you you have to just bow your head, close your eyes, see that situation, see that struggle. Maybe for some of you, it's like, I just need to know that he feels what I feel right now. Others of you, it's, I just need to know that, that he's forgiven me, that he loves me, that nothing I've done can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Maybe for some of you, it's, I just need to know that there's still power available for me. I feel so weak these days. I want, I want to overcome. I want to live a, a life that looks like the son of God. Maybe there's others of you who are looking at the future. There's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. And he's just going, I've got it in my hands. Trust me, today has enough worries of its own. Just be in the present with me. Maybe there's some of you here right now, as, you, as your eyes are, I pray your eyes are closed, your heads are just kind of like letting yourselves think about this and process it. I'm going to give you a moment of silence. But maybe there's some of you who just to go, I've never really surrendered my life to this good news. I've never asked Jesus to be the means by which I could be forgiven of my sins. I want forgiveness. I want to be cleansed. I want to be empowered. I want the Spirit to come dwell in me and fill me and empower me. I want to live a new life. So Maybe for some of you, today is the day of salvation for the first time. I'll just give you a moment just to be quiet with the Spirit.